This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Simon. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a lot to talk about today, including the right to repair, whether Will Smith is going to be good for small YouTubers like me, Cheap Mocha devices are up on Amazon, it looks like, for a limited time. We're going to boot up my old Mac SE30 for the heck of it and hope the smoke doesn't come out of it. And we're going to talk about whether or not these cheap Android devices can spy on you. And I might need your help for answering that question. So let's get into it. And I want to thank our newest contributors here to the channel. That includes Tony Brown, who gave via the tip jar, and Kabi, who contributed via Patreon. I want to thank both of these folks for their contributions to the channel, along with everyone else who has been contributing on an ongoing basis and everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And now it's time for a non-ad, an affiliate link for a service that I use quite a bit, which is Audible.com. I've been a subscriber for probably about 10 years now, and I've got quite a library built up. And they have great audiobooks, as you all know. In fact, uh, many of their fiction books, especially the sci-fi books, kind of play out like radio plays where the narrators are doing different voices and there's sound effects and everything. A uh, really fun way to consume books and more efficient because you can read a book while you're doing something else, like doing the dishes or uh, doing yard work or whatever. I've always uh, enjoyed Audible because I can read in places where I couldn't before. And they've got now this thing called Channels for Prime, and I think this has been around for a little bit, but I just discovered it recently. Uh, If you are an Amazon Prime member and an Audible member, uh, you get access to these really good podcasts that are very similar in scope to uh, Serial, which covers, you know, one particular topic in extraordinary detail. Uh, This is a very similar thing that Amazon is doing through Audible, and if you like those kind of long format multiple hours of investigation into a single topic. You'll love these. So uh, check it out if you are an Audible member and a Prime member. I think you can also get this to work if you've got uh, the family account set up or whatever. So check it out. You may already have it on your Audible account. And now let's take a look at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed that Hades Canyon Nuck I reviewed the other day. Uh, We also took a look at that uh, Android TV box I reviewed last week as well. We unboxed it on the Extras channel. And then I uploaded a bunch of 3D VR movies from that Lenovo VR180 camera. And those will play back on anything that can do 3D, like Google Cardboard or other uh, VR headsets that support YouTube VR. So if you want to check them out, uh, you'll get them in 3D, even on something as cheap as Google Cardboard. So definitely take a look at that. And then on the main channel, we did a full review of the Intel Hades Canyon NUC. It's a partnership between Intel and AMD. They actually have an AMD GPU and an Intel CPU inside of the same chip package, essentially. And there's, this is going to go into uh, laptops and other stuff as well. Really nicely performing machine. Uh, definitely check it out if you're curious about it. We also took a look at that Android TV box, another one of these cheap boxes that has like the somewhat official Android TV OS shoehorned onto it. Not a perfect experience, but a cheap experience. Uh, We also had the full review of the VR180 camera, which was uh, where the sample footage came from on the Extras channel. And then we had episode two of my podcast with Douglas Black from notebookcheck.net and ultrabookreview.com. You can watch the video version of that 
or you can listen to it in audio form on your favorite podcatching application. I should be on just about every major podcast directory at this point. Uh, so if you can't find me, let me know, and I will make sure I get my feed over to that uh, particular directory as well. And podcast is doing pretty nicely, actually. We're getting good YouTube traffic, and uh, the audio traffic is picking up, too. And we also put this show in audio format every week on that podcast feed as well. And now it is time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 62 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And I talked last week about trying to get my videos up on Amazon Prime Video, and we finally got a bunch uploaded the other day. So uh, you can go over to lon.tv slash dispatches and you can see the first iteration of this. Now, this is not content that is exclusive to Amazon. This is stuff that I've already done on YouTube. And uh, I do a lot of videos, as you all know, and some do better than others over the longer stretch. And typically, my product review videos are watched for a very long period of time after I do them. But the dispatches that I do, like the CES trips and uh, some of the other Pepcom events that I do in New York, uh, those are often very short-lived, but I think they might work well as kind of a bingy, uh, episodic thing. So we're going to do some experiments here with episodic uh, collections of content that I've done. So right now, I have all of my dispatches from last year up. This week, I'm going to get uh, the next round, which is this year's dispatches that include CES and a few of the Pepcom events that I went to, because I think they really do well together, just kind of going from one to the other. And there's a lot of variation in what goes on in these videos, too, so I think they might uh, hold viewers' interest a little bit longer on the Amazon platform. So I'm going to just experiment with this and see where it goes. If these do okay, and there's some indication already that uh, these 2017 dispatches are getting watched, uh, my plan is to start taking the categories of product reviews that I've done, like the, the DVR 2017 series, and uh, putting them onto Amazon in episodic format also. That might actually help uh, with better discovery. And I think Amazon is starting to do some work to try to get people into uh, some of this content. Also, I'm starting to see some of my favorite YouTubers pop up as recommendations to me on, on the platform. So uh, I'm going to just start putting stuff there. Again, not exclusive. It's probably going to go up there after it's been here on YouTube for free. Uh, some creators have done the opposite, which is uh, put it up on Amazon first and then go to YouTube. But I know a lot of you are watching in places where you can't get this to work. So I want to make sure that you see it here and then we'll put it over on Amazon so more people can discover what I am doing. Now, I would like to see where this is working. And I think right now, uh, it's only in the U.S. and the U.K. I would love for it to be working in Canada, but I don't think Canada is on this Prime Video thing yet. So uh, if you are in Canada, hit that link that you see on screen and let me know if it works. Uh, if it doesn't, we're going to have to wait for Amazon to come around on that. Uh, likewise, I can't send it to Germany and Japan, which are the other two countries that Amazon supports, because I have to get all my uh, all my videos uploaded with uh, Japanese names, for example, on the videos themselves. And I think I also have to get captioning done uh, in those languages, too. They require captioning. They're very strict about uh, how the thumbnails look. It's not like YouTube where you just upload it and it's up for everybody within 10 minutes. This thing is a very long process. Somebody reviews it. They make sure it fits their standards, and then they allow it on the platform. So it took us about two or three weeks to get everything ironed out on just this uh, set of uh, four videos. But now that we know how to do it, uh, we're going to get a lot more up. So uh, take a look at it. We're going to get season two hopefully up a little later this week. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And there's going to be some new attention given, apparently, 
to Android TV, which is my favorite set-top box platform. And uh, Android P was announced at Google I.O. the other day, and all the uh, news coverage, of course, went to some of their crazy AI demos like that uh, computer that could book you an appointment at your hairstylist, for example. Uh, But they are also talking about Android P and revamping uh, the Android TV operating system. And one of the big gripes that I've had is that it's been hard to get a good Android TV experience on a cheap box. We've seen a couple of attempts by that from some manufacturers on GearBest that kind of shoehorn an unofficial version of Android TV onto these cheap boxes. But as we saw, it doesn't run all that great. There are compatibility issues, DRM issues, and it looks as though Google is now focusing on getting this working on lower-cost devices, which I think will really help the platform because they can get this stuff into more of the commodity market and deliver a much better experience and hopefully drive down the cost of some of the more uh, big-name boxes also. And the other thing that's been happening with Android TV is that they've been making great inroads with television manufacturers. And one of the things that struck me at CES this year was just how many TVs uh, have Android TV built in. However, only a couple are available here in the U.S. There are a number of brands throughout the world that have incorporated Android TV because it provides a really nice interface. Google takes care of maintaining it for them. Uh, and it really drives a great customer experience. I think Android TV is great. I use it on all my televisions, and I'm uh, very eager to see Android P come out and hopefully give us more choices in Android boxes. And it's good to see that there's some attention to this and the fact that they're not going to abandon it as many of us feared in the past. So we'll keep an eye on this and hopefully get some cheap boxes in very shortly. And the Daily Beast is reporting about Logan Paul ceasing his daily vlogs, and their editorial here is blaming YouTube saying that they are bailing on their own creators and uh, they're doing so in favor of bigger name celebrities like LeBron James and Will Smith and comedian Jack Whitehall and whatnot. And uh, apparently they rolled them out to uh, advertisers during some of their upfront meetings with uh, different brands who come in to figure out where they should spend their ad dollars over the course of the year. I don't see this as a negative. In fact, I see this as a positive because I'd much rather have uh, big names representing the platform right now than people who act irresponsibly like the Paul brothers have done over time. I think one of the Paul brothers is a little bit more balanced than the other one, but uh, I think it's a little unstable for YouTube to kind of base their entire brand strategy on people that can not deliver predictable results. And in the case of Will Smith, I know that he's been making some uh, investments into productions on YouTube Red exclusive content like Cobra Kai, Uh, which is a sequel to the original Karate Kid movie with the original actors in it. It's actually pretty good. Uh, You can see it's kind of a lower-budget production, but it's not as uh, lower-budget as it might be if one of the Paul brothers put something together. It's actually something pretty well done and uh, is a proper sequel to the original story, and I was surprised by how much I liked it. In fact, this was the first YouTube Red exclusive thing that I've watched, and I've been a YouTube Red subscriber since it came out, so this is progress, I think, and the reason why I think this is a good thing is because the more YouTube Red subscribers there are, the better that all of us little creators do because we are paid by the minute Uh, every time a YouTube Red Watcher consumes our content. And when you look at the aggregate per view basis of compensation, YouTube Red is five times what we typically see with advertising-supported video. And I don't have to make it exclusive. So if you are not a YouTube Red subscriber, you still get to see it. If the ad pops up, I'll get the revenue share from that. 
But if you are a red subscriber, you don't see the ad and I'm compensated by the minute uh, as part of what you're paying into the big pool of uh, dollars that they distribute out to YouTube red subscribers. So in this case, I think Will Smith is a good thing. If they can keep putting content in front of people that drives YouTube red subscriptions, it helps all of us. Uh, so long as YouTube continues to compensate us in the same way for uh, red subscriber uh, viewership. So I think this is a good thing. I don't think they're turning their backs on their creators by going with these bigger names. I think it's actually helping drive red subscribers, which I think in the end is going to be very, very good for this platform. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And this first one came in via the Facebook group. Uh, Billy Forrest pointed me in the direction of uh, these Action Tech single dual band wireless uh, Mocha adapters for 10 bucks right now on Amazon, which is an exceptionally good price. So these are uh, Mocha extenders like we've covered before, uh, but they have a Wi-Fi radio built in. And I think there's an Ethernet jack on the back of these as well. So you plug one in near your router and then another one somewhere else in the house hooked up to your cable TV wiring and you'll get uh, your network extended through the wiring. It's a very reliable connection, but one thing to note on this particular deal is that uh, this is not the gigabit devices I've been looking at here on the channel over the last year. These are running at 100 megabits per second. So you'll get reliability, uh, but you won't get the gigabit speed out of this. But if you are looking to play around with Mocha and decide whether or not it's something that'll work in your house, uh, this might be a good starting point. So you can find it uh, at the link you see there down below. And this next question is a good one because I haven't really thought about or looked into what the implications are here. Uh, so the question is on these low-cost Android devices that have some kind of hacked Android OS on them to get them to work, like those Android TV boxes I mentioned earlier, is there a risk uh, to having your personal information exposed if these things are rooted and somehow have access to things that a normal Android TV box doesn't have? And I would say uh, there probably is a risk in that. Uh, typically, what I do with these is I log in with a uh, kind of a, a, a test account that I use on Google uh, for the devices that come in for me to review. I do that just because I don't want to give Corey all my personal login information every time he tests something, but also for the reason that I like to be safe rather than sorry occasionally here. And uh, my guess is that if you are using some kind of rooted device, I don't know if your Google credentials themselves may be at significant risk, but probably could be. Uh, but certainly, I think they probably could figure out a way to get at your Amazon credentials or whatever else you're logging into through individual apps. So uh, you definitely want to exercise some caution here. And I would actually love to get some feedback from you this week. Uh, and this will be our Q&A for you about what kinds of potential problems are there if you do buy one of these uh, you know, hacked together Android TV boxes from overseas for a very good price? Uh, what kind of risks should people be thinking about when they do that? I think this might be a very good discussion to have down below. Uh, if you log in properly through Android to your Google account, is there a risk that your Google account could be made accessible with other devices? That's my main question, but I would love to hear some other scenarios that uh, you all might be thinking about. So let's have a conversation on that uh, down below and on the Facebook group if you want to check it out there. Next question is going to be a fun one. Uh, Mike Service likes the classic Mac in the background, and he's wondering how much it's worth to a collector. So let me get it here real quick, and we'll uh, take a look. So this is my original uh, Mac SE 30. We're going to boot it up here in a second. Now, I did not own this back in the day. This was a very expensive computer when it first came out in the 80s. Uh, this is probably about 30 years old or so. I'm trying to see if there's a date on the back of it here. Um, and when this came out, this looked like the regular Mac SE, 
but it had a faster processor. It has a 6830 chip, which was significantly faster than the 68000 chip on the regular Mac SE, which was basically the same chip on the original Mac. Uh, so this one was quicker, but still black and white, but it did have some expansion capabilities that I've never gotten around to doing. I think you could uh, coax this one into actually becoming a color Mac with an external display. I believe there was also an Ethernet card available for it too. So let me get it set up here. Let's boot it up and make sure the smoke doesn't come out like it did on the 2GS when we did the video on that, and we'll see what it is still capable of doing, if anything. All right, so I've got the Mac now set up. What's nice about these is that they're very easy to configure because the display is built right into it. Uh, so in the back here, power goes over there. Uh, this is a Kensington lock, but a much larger one than the slots we see today. Uh, power switches here. We've got a printer and a modem port here. Uh, on these Apple machines, these are all serial. Uh, the printer ports on the old PCs were parallel. Uh, audio output here. This is a SCSI connector, so you can connect up external hard drives. This one has an internal hard drive, which probably raised its original price. Uh, there was a floppy connector here for connecting three and a half inch floppy drives. And then it's got uh, two Apple desktop bus ports on the back here. That was called uh, ADB. And that was something that uh, kind of was like the precursor to USB because it was an active bus. And what that means is that I can have my keyboard connected to it. This is not the original keyboard. Uh, and then connected to the keyboard, I can connect the mouse, but I'm only using one connector on the back of the Mac. And uh, back in the old days, there was computer labs, and uh, those labs were typically networked through those ADB ports. I think maybe they were doing it through the serial. I can't remember. But either way, um, you have an extra port back there for connecting peripherals and whatnot. So we're going to fire this thing up. It seems like it's working here. I didn't hear the beep. The screen doesn't look all that promising here. I haven't booted this thing up in probably two years or so, so we'll have to see. Now, I bought this for... Maybe 100 bucks on eBay, so it wasn't all that expensive. I think it may not be working anymore, actually. I have to go back in and take a look at why this isn't booting. Um, but uh, when it was new, it was about $4,600 or so, so that was pretty pricey. And this one has an internal hard drive. I think when they came out, just the initial like, entry point uh, was a dual uh, floppy drive, essentially. So this one really was quite pricey here. So let me see if it boots up, and if it doesn't, um, I will just leave it at that. So it looks like I've got another dead classic computer back there that needs some work. Typically what happens with these things is that the uh, capacitors on the power supplies tend to die out and you've got to replace all of them. They call it recapping. So I need to do that on the 2GS because when we did that video where I did the big review of it, it actually blew up right in the middle of the video. Uh, the Mac here thankfully did not cause an evacuation of my house, but uh, it is not booting up anymore. And again, I think it's probably a power supply related issue. So uh, we'll probably have to find some local experts to get all that fixing. Now, as far as what it's worth to a collector, I took a look on eBay. These are selling for about two or 300 bucks right now uh, on eBay in working conditions. So I think that's probably the threshold here for that. So a lot less than its initial $4,600 price tag, but uh, certainly climbing up a little bit as these things become more collectible. And it's funny how many people just toss them out, uh, not thinking they'll ever have any value to anybody. And what I was doing probably about 10 years ago was just buying up uh, as much of the stuff that I wanted as a kid that could never afford. So to see the cost of that one back in 1989 or whatever was just completely out of reach. So I figured, hey, it would be kind of fun to own it now that it's actually achievable to get one. So I did that with a bunch of game consoles and old computers as well. So now we're going to dive into a more serious topic, which is the right to repair. You've probably been hearing more about this, and there's been some uh, popular YouTubers rising up who have been also bringing this issue to the forefront. 
And this involves more than just the things that we cover here on the channel. It includes farm equipment. It includes the ability to get your car fixed where you want it to. And as we have become increasingly more dependent on computers to run all of the things in our daily lives, uh, manufacturers of these devices have been able to make it difficult, if not impossible in some cases, for a third party or you as an individual to fix the items that you have paid for yourself. And that is kind of a problem, I think, and we need to figure out perhaps how do we get to a point where we can still fix things that we buy, uh, yet still protecting the public in some ways. And I'll talk about why the public needs protecting in a minute. So a couple of videos as reference that might be worth taking a look at. Uh, the first is uh, the Rich Rebuilds channel that I talked about recently. This is a guy who uh, rebuilt a Tesla from parts. It took a lot of work, but he managed to get one completely functional. But he's run into some issues with Tesla, who uh, in many cases wants to charge people tens of thousands of dollars to recertify the car before they fully support it in software because these cars get firmware updates all the time for not only just the user interface and some of its features, but also safety and other things. That autopilot system has changed dramatically over the last two years or so, and every update uh, brings greater safety and greater control to the driver in some instances. And if you're not certified, uh, those updates do not come down to your car. And as a result, you might be at greater risk. And uh, he's got a car that's fully functional. Uh, you heard from somebody else who also rebuilt a Tesla from a wreck. And uh, the car was working fine with the supercharger. The guy was out on a vacation with his family. And uh, Tesla decided to disable the car's supercharging functions, even though the original vehicle had that as part of its feature package because it was declared a wreck that this guy then rebuilt. Tesla said it's not an official car. We're not going to support the features of the vehicle, which include the supercharging that came as part of that car. So you can check out that story at the link there. Another one who I'm sure you've been hearing about is uh, from uh, Lewis Rossman, who's been doing a lot of uh, talk about this topic. Now, he owns a uh, repair shop in Manhattan, New York City, and what he does is he fixes Apple devices, and he actually fixes them. So when I say I fix a computer, I change the motherboard out. Uh, Lewis actually fixes the motherboard. He takes chips out, resolders them on. Uh, very, very good at what he does. But he's long struggled against Apple, who doesn't want people like him repairing their devices. They've gone after him on DMCA issues regarding uh, some of the plans that he is using to fix the devices that he uh, puts on his channel. Uh, so he can't actually get a repair manual or even the schematics from Apple because he's not a, an official certified repair person. And uh, he's got a video up on his channel right now talking about uh, somebody in his independent repair community uh, who is importing a bunch of refurbished displays for iPhones. And uh, the displays were seized by customs because they have an Apple logo on them. And what Apple and many other manufacturers have been doing is putting on these little tiny logos on the product so that when somebody imports something with that logo on there, uh, they can essentially uh, use the, the copyright argument to say that these have an unauthorized use of our logo and therefore uh, should not be allowed to be imported. And customs has essentially seized about a couple of thousand dollars worth of refurbished screens. Now, what these screens are, are screens that had a shattered glass, but they were sent to China. China uh, took the, not the country, but somebody in China, uh, took the glass off the front of the display, which was still working, and replaced it with a different pane of glass. Uh, they then repackaged it and sent it back to the United States. And 
they still have the Apple logo on there because they are a real Apple screen, just not the same glass. And they were indicated as such on the paperwork that they were refurbished screens. But because they didn't cover up the logo, uh, Customs uses that trademark argument to essentially seize the property of that person and not allow them to bring it in for repair. And you can see just how small this logo is compared to a penny. This is a magnified image from uh, Lewis's video. And his contention and the contention of others in the right to repair movement is that uh, you should be able to fix things and uh, not get caught up in this copyright and trademark stuff when uh, you have a legitimate official product that has been refurbished to keep it out of the waste stream. There's tremendous benefit to uh, the environment, of course, by not having these screens be thrown out. And uh, there's an additional benefit to consumers to give them a choice as to where they get their screens repaired. Now, of course, we've done screen repairs here on the channel. We had our sponsor Pulse a while back uh, come in and do a uh, live repair here in the studio, and they used unofficial parts because Apple will not sell them the official parts. And the only place you can get an official screen at this point is to go to Apple and pay a lot more money and, of course, have to uh, show up at the Apple store. And uh, Right to Repair says you should have more choices than that, especially if your product is out of warranty. And so the repair.org folks have a lot in their uh, legislative agenda here, but there are some basics here that uh, we'll cover real quick. So at the state level, and, and we're talking about United States law here, and uh, this concept, I think, for a lot of people outside the USA is, is very uh, foreign uh, because we actually have a lot of autonomy uh, in each individual state in the union. And uh, there's certain things the federal government does and there's certain things state governments do. So all 50 states look at this issue differently, and they're making a lot of effort right now to get right to repair passed in multiple states. So that might move the rest of the country uh, along with those states that uh, take a lead on it. And that's true of many public policy issues here in the U.S. since our inception as a republic. So at uh, a state level, what they want to do is uh, require manufacturers to change the end-user license agreements uh, on a lot of these products. And the reason is, is that when you open up the iPhone, you are essentially agreeing to a contract that says you're not going to have unofficial repairs done to the device. Now, sometimes that gets caught up in the warranty stuff, but uh, those EULAs also apply to when the product is out of warranty, and they can often make a legal argument against these independent repair shops saying uh, this is a violation of the end-user license agreement, therefore the repair is not allowed and potentially illegal. Uh, they also want the brands and the manufacturers to sell parts, repair manuals, and the custom tools required uh, to fix these devices to independent repair shops and to consumers directly. As we all know, we can't get those things now. Uh, Lewis Rossman, again, uses uh, repair manuals that he's able to get over the Internet. He was threatened with DMCA takedown notices when those manuals appeared in his videos. Apple backed off from that, but uh, still they use that DMCA and that trademark and copyright law to uh, essentially prevent people from fixing devices and showing other people how to do it. And there's no way Lewis Rossman can go over to Apple and buy any of these parts directly. He has to uh, acquire them through refurbishers or uh, through some other means because right now Apple just does not provide things to people that are not their official uh, repair people. And in many cases, the official repair people still have to send the products back to Apple uh, for repair. And it's not just Apple. There are a bunch of other manufacturers doing uh, much of the same thing here. And at the federal level, they want to see some changes made to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act so that 
uh, these companies can't hide behind uh, their intellectual property when it comes to things like those refurbished screens we just talked about earlier. That is what they're using to prevent people from bringing in uh, legit refurbished screens back into the country, not some other law out there. And uh, the DMCA needs some work to adapt to the times here. It's 20-something years, and uh, it's time to maybe look at a few of those things, which is what they are uh, asking the federal government to do. Uh, they also want to see some reform to allow uh, the circumvention of DRM for repair and maintenance purposes. And this has uh, great implications, again, not just for consumer electronics, but also vehicles and uh, other large devices also, because the firmware on these machines uh, is essentially locked down by uh, DRM, and the DMCA outlaws trying to circumvent DRM for any circumstances, and they want to see some carve-out there, uh, at least for repair purposes. So if maybe a product is no longer being manufactured, you can still get in there and fix it if it's still working, because uh, it'd be a big waste to throw out a tractor or something uh, like a piece of heavy machinery that is still completely functional just because the company no longer supports it. And right now, it's technically illegal uh, to circumvent the DRM under any circumstances, including uh, repair and maintenance. Now, what Apple and other tech companies are doing are fighting these right-to-repair laws in every state they can. Uh, to some degree, this might make it a little bit more difficult for Apple to manufacture its devices, and they issued a statement to The Verge on this. Uh, what they're saying is that uh, if people want these highly integrated designs that are thin and powerful and durable, uh, if we had to make it easier for people to fix them, uh, it might change the way these products look and feel and behave. And as you all know, with uh, the recent versions of the iPhone, especially the iPhone 10 and 8, uh, it's all glued together, so you've got to loosen up the glue before you can even get into it. Not a big deal for a technician to do, of course, but uh, perhaps a little bit more difficult for a consumer. We found on our uh, teardowns of the iPhone 6, it was a lot easier to get into the phone on those versions. And all these companies are making it harder and harder uh, for people to repair their phones and, or devices and put them back together again. But the other thing they said here, too, is that when repairs are needed, authorized providers can ensure the quality, safety, and security of repairs for customers. And when products do reach end of life, Apple takes responsibility for recycling them safely and responsibly. And this is one area here that I think we need to talk about here because it's important, first of all, for consumers to have more choice. It's also important for consumers to be protected, though, too, from uh, products that might harm them or others. And when we talk about something like a Tesla uh, with an autopilot system, uh, we want to make sure that if we're allowing people to circumvent DRM for maintenance purposes, uh, we're not allowing them to change the way the, the self-driving car behavior is because we don't want this car running amok and smashing into stuff, for example. Uh, we also want to make sure that if we are fixing an iPhone, the person fixing the iPhone is uh, not going to uh, do something that might cause it to catch on fire and cause a plane to crash or something because they use some really crappy parts in it. So there's a lot of things in here that we have to think about when uh, we are repairing items, especially things with volatile batteries and other volatile uh, components to them that might put a, the public at risk. And one of the issues that I'm finding here as I've been doing some research on this topic is that if I were to open up a computer repair shop in Connecticut, and, and from what I can see, many other states as well, I don't need a license to operate 
uh, that business. Now, of course, I have to go through and do all my usual business filings, but I don't need a specific license or have to go through an exam or any kind of, uh, any kind of background check to make sure that I am actually capable and trained uh, to work on electronics. Now, in my home state of Connecticut, you're required to get a license to work on televisions and radios, and all of the scope of what this license requires uh, refers back to those two pieces of consumer electronics, but not to smartphones, not to computers. And I went in and searched for uh, all of the local businesses around me that do smartphone repairs and computer repairs. Uh, not one of them has a license because it doesn't appear as though they are required to have one unless they start working on TVs or radios or stereo systems, as it says here in the licensing uh, document. But uh, it really kind of exempts at this point anyone who's just working on smartphones, and there's really no way to know uh, whether or not the person I'm bringing my smartphone to is certified to work on a phone or any other kind of consumer electronics beyond the TV or radio. And I think we probably need to start looking at how states are ensuring that consumers are protected when they bring their devices into repair. And I think to some degree, the brands need those kinds of protections also, because if Apple just starts sending out parts to anyone out there, uh, who knows what could happen uh, if somebody installed something incorrectly or what kind of damages might occur if uh, somebody you know, sends something to a repair shop that isn't capable of actually fixing things properly and they end up breaking a computer and losing data that had tremendous value to that particular client. Uh, who knows if Apple can get enjoined in a lawsuit or something like that. So I think to some degree there is certainly a profit motive here. That's probably their primary motivation. But uh, there are some consumer protections here that uh, Apple, at least for now, knows that when they send a service manual out to a authorized repair shop, they have some confidence that that repair shop can do the work properly. And I think if we do uh, require Apple and other companies to send out parts to these repair places, I think there probably should be some degree of licensing and exams to make sure that people are capable of doing that. And somebody like Louis Rossman would have no problem getting that license. He is very good at what he does. And he even brings this topic up on one of his videos uh, where he fixes a horrible repair job done by a local mall kiosk uh, that is unable to do the repair properly. And again, because, in, it, because it doesn't require a license, I'm assuming in his state either, um, you can just bring your stuff there and they will look at one of his YouTube videos and try to figure out a way to fix it, even though they don't have the proper certifications, training, or education to do so. And he even say, says that these types of places are really hurting the credibility of the industry. And to some degree, I think this might actually hurt the right to repair movement because if Apple and all these other big corporations with all these lobbyists can run over to uh, the state house and say, look, see what happens when that mall kiosk guy gets a hold of it? He just ruins everything, even though he had uh, original parts that he was trying to make the repair with. And I think that's something that uh, we're going to have to figure out in the course of these kinds of discussions at the state level. Uh, this might require these independent repair shops to get uh, properly certified and licensed in order for this to move forward. But I think that would be a small price to pay to give consumers more choice and open up more business opportunities for these small businesses to serve those customers. And to get more on this topic, our channel of the week this week is Motherboard, specifically their State of Repair series, where they dive deep into this topic, not only for smartphones and electronics, but also things like tractors and how farmers are being impacted by uh, their inability to repair their own equipment because of DRM and federal and state law. So this is really good stuff, definitely worth diving into. 
I think we do need reform. I think there needs to be more consumer choice, especially when your phone is out of warranty. Uh, I've got my two-year Apple Care on this thing because I know I'm going to break the screen in a week or two because I keep dropping the phone now. Um, but uh, you know, when that ends and I still want to use my phone, I don't think I should be required to send it to Apple if there's somebody capable of fixing it. And those people should be able to get the parts they need to service me as a customer so that I have some choices to how a product I own gets repaired. And I don't want to just throw it out. Uh, but of course, that is not what uh, Apple and other computer companies want me to do. But again, I think this is a great thought-provoking series that can get you really thinking about this. And the most important thing you can do in all of this is to vote and you know, really let your representatives know what your feelings are on this topic. And if they're not supporting you on that, then you might want to find a different representative to vote for. And I think that's one of the most important things here when you go out to the polls in November is to look at uh, the issues that your candidates are supporting. And if they're not supporting things that you care about, then you vote for the other person. And I think that is definitely something you should keep in mind. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things to look at, including a uh, commodity notebook from Dell. This is an Inspiron 15-inch laptop with an i3 processor built in. It is upgradable, unlike the more expensive soldered down varieties you can get these days. And uh, you can do a little bit more with this than perhaps you might do with something that costs more, but it's just big, ugly, and heavy. Uh, but we'll give that one some love a little later in the week, as I always like to do with these low-cost laptops. Uh, we're also going to be taking a look at the new WD Passport Wireless SSD. Uh, this is something that we've looked at before, but that was the spinning drive version. Uh, think of these as like a little mini MyCloud. And what you can do with it out in the field is uh, get your video camera out, do a bunch of video and photos and whatnot, pop the card into the side of it, and it will automatically uh, download that card onto an SSD. Uh, so you can wipe the card out and keep recording or at least make a uh, backup while you're in the field. And because it's solid state, it is more reliable. And we'll see how this one compares to the prior version we looked at. Uh, hopefully that will be up this week. And uh, probably this week or maybe next, we're going to be continuing our Mocha series. It's a sponsored series from the Mocha Alliance where we dive into their technology a bit and see how it works in different scenarios. And a lot of people asked on the last video about how Mocha compares to Powerline. Uh, so what we're going to do is look at two different power line technologies and see how those perform uh, versus the uh, 2.0 Mocha bonded adapters we've been playing with here over the last year or so. So that one should be kind of fun. And it came uh, directly as a result of viewer feedback, which they want to keep doing. So if you see things in that video we should dive deeper into further, uh, let me know when you see it as it will hopefully be up later this week or next. Now, if you want to help support the channel, you can. Lon.tv slash support is where you do that to uh, do our donor box page or find my Patreon info. We also have a relationship with Plex where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no password required, we get a little uh, commission for that. Uh, if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift a Plex Pass to somebody else, we also get a commission for that activity. And we have more channels to look at if you like what I do. We've got the Extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We got the podcast, which I talked about earlier. The Snippets channel is search-friendly uh, portions of this video and others that you can find and share with your friends. And we have the live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. If you like what I do, definitely click on the notification bell so you get notified every time something happens. Uh, no longer is being subscribed enough. You got to click the bell if you want to get notified when stuff gets uploaded. And we've got my very occasional email list at lon.tv slash email. We have our Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, our Facebook group where over 300 of you now talk to each other, which is awesome, at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And I pop in there quite a bit. 
And we have the store at lon.tv slash store where I sell the items that I purchased to review here on the channel and I'm now looking to part with at a discount versus their new price. And you can get alerted whenever something gets added to the store at lon.tv slash store alert. So lots of stuff to follow the channel on there. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up with welcome your feedback on right to repair and anything else. I'm going to try to get somebody from right to repair to come on the channel for uh, a deeper dive into their side of this issue and maybe explore some of these consumer protection things as well, because I do think we do uh, need to set some standards here for what these responsible repair shops are uh, so that consumers can know uh, going into it when they trust somebody with their expensive computer and data that it's going to be done properly. Uh, so we'll explore that and hopefully some other stuff as well. And if you have other podcast topics that you would like to see uh, good deep dives on, let me know down in the comments below or on the Facebook group. So until next time, this is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.